what's going on here, but I see Mario as a listener after hearing one word. Is that the same for everyone else? That's what I heard. He's so bad at this. Literally the world-leading spaces host god of X, friend of Elon Musk. The guy can't even get his mic to work. Look at him. Requesting. I'm drunk with power. I don't think I'm going to let him up. What do you think? Problem is the numbers. The numbers are so good when he's here. Otherwise, it would be we so easy. We should give him a try. Do you think we should try him out today? See how he does. I don't know, man. Ran, this is our moment, buddy. You're connecting. I wonder if I'm my co-host. Mario's not working. We can say anything we want. I wonder if I can be if I'll be co-host today. Or if I'll reserve that for Mario as usual. I don't know. Look, he says uh, he got he got removed from the space. Asked me back. I'm 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 over in the uh in the we have, we have a WhatsApp group in the background, guys. You know, talking about uh, breaking news and all the things and and it feels they they're saying I removed him. I did not. I did not. Although I did say that I was going to, so I could see how that blame could be put on me. Um, but in this case, Mario's just bad at spaces. I think. What do you think of uh, what do you think of Vivek dropping out of the race? Do you think that uh, he's going to be Trump's VP now? I have no idea. I mean, I've heard people saying that. Um, I, I don't know. I had Bruce Fenton. I spoke with at length this morning. Obviously, he sort of was leading uh, Vivek's um, supporting heavily in, in New Hampshire, where he ran for a Senate himself. Uh, I mean, he seemed to think he's pretty much out of politics for now. But uh, I have no. I, I really have no idea. I don't really see actually, I, I don't know that Vivek would, uh, I'm just, I don't do politics to be honest, but just thinking it through, like, I don't know that that helps Trump's campaign very much. I think everyone who was going to vote for support Vivek is probably already supporting Trump. So you would think that Trump would choose someone that's going to bring in a different sort of class of voter. I have no idea though. Yeah, but, but it looks like it was, uh, well, there's it, a lot of different arguments, like whether it's pre-planned between Vivek and Trump, whether he's going to be the VP pick. You know, we've got some people saying it makes Dude. sense. Others saying there's he no way. Slaughtered. He got yeah, slaughtered. Is, I exactly. mean, <laughs> you know, like the voters spoke. I, and I'm not saying that's a good or bad thing. I'm just saying objectively, coming forth, you're done. So, yeah, but he did come out of, and you have to give him credit, he did come out of nowhere to even be in the top four as an achievement. I think it was he great. Was, he was, he was yeah. completely being discounted just a, a few months back, though. So, uh, but it's not a good thing. You know, it's not the best thing for crypto. That's, uh, that's, uh, that's fair to say. Brother Scott, did you hear what I said earlier? Because if it cut out after the first three words, then I owe you an apology. If it cut no, out you earlier, said like two words. You said, Baka. You sounded like a, oh, uh, like a dying oh, parrot or something. Oh, perfect, perfect. I, the, I don't owe you an apology for what I said then. Um, now, can you type it maybe and send me in the background? Uh, if you insulted uh, me, I need to hear it. Yeah, it was a pretty pretty extreme insult, but uh, we'll do it in the background. How did I not go? I want to understand our friendship. How did I not make co-host if I was here before you? I don't know, man. Well, it seems, it, it I seems mean, that it, I'm, uh, I'm much preferred. Let me just ask uh, you, is it, because, is it because someone from your team is driving the show? Or how, how does it work? I love how we have no filters for the space. Like we literally have no filters. Wait, are we was, live? Yeah, I swear. Like, like we got Rand shitting on me and my team. We got Scott. I called you an asshole and I dropped out. I even explained why. I think it was good reason. And I dropped out. So, so and I re- oh, by the way, you removed me from the space by accident. So I was actually blocked from the space. Um, yeah, well, but I think I think it. we should in the, uh, in the background in the background Mario message that he might miss some of the spaces today because he might have a call or something. He said, "I hope that's okay." <laughs> to which I responded, "It is preferred," and I'm assuming that's why you called me an asshole. <laughs> yeah, this is why I called you an asshole. But I think we should kick off the space, maybe market update, and get Saran's thoughts on the altcoin market because I wanted to dig into it yesterday. Even though I don't, I know you don't like it, Scott, but that's, I'm fascinated by it. I love the altcoin market. Today, I think today is the moment of truth, actually. For uh, I mean, it's T plus two day today. I think it's the moment of truth for the ETF to see how they settle. So I think we must keep a, we must keep a very close eye on what's going on. I think today is a very important day to watch the markets. Um, why? Sorry, I miss it. Why is today such an important day? Because if you, if the ETF settle on um, um, on T plus two, and you feel and and today is effectively T plus two of the opening day of the ETF trade, so today is like the settlement day for the ETF trade, for the first day of the ETF trade. So, because remember that it was open uh, day one was 
Thursday, Friday we traded, Monday we didn't trade. So today is is the is the T plus two. So you you kind of want to watch flows today. There's a lot of flows out of grayscale today. There's a lot of flows out of grayscale. I was watching it earlier today. So I think today is quite an important day to see what happens in terms of influence. Ren, where are you watching that? On Arkham, where are you watching, on, by the on way? Arkham. Arkham tracks the grayscale wallets. And ha- what is it like? Uh, I'm really interested. What's it like compared to what we were seeing, you know, Thursday and Friday when, when we start our trading start? So remember today's settlement. So we saw some, some settlement on, on, th- on, on Thursday and Friday. Look, right, it's very hard to call it so early. I think we need to watch it a bit longer, but there have been a lot of 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. 16,000 Bitcoin flowed out already. Total, total, right? Uh, grayscale, to total grayscale. Yeah, I'm saying to- total, not just today. Yeah. Uh, today, last, we're talking the last wow. couple of hours, basically. The last 53 minutes. That's a lot. No, sorry. I see some of it's, That's some of it's actually from before the weekend. Sorry, let me give it to you more. One, two, three, four, yeah. five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten thousand Bitcoin have moved today, which is $500 million. That's a lot. And, and, and I assume they identify the receiver, so are those all to centralized exchanges? So I guess they, Coinbase. They don't label, I mean, they don't show it on Arkham, but you can kind of make an assumption that those are going to Coinbase. And I think the other thing which you need to watch today is you need to watch the Coinbase premium uh, the Coinbase premium, you know, because Coinbase trades at a premium or a discount to other markets. So right now it's at a discount. Right now it's trading at a, at a, at a, at a slight discount, which means there's kind of like more sellers than buyers on Coinbase than at, on the rest of the market. Right. Right, which would make sense if that's where Grayscale, I mean, yeah. basically they're shouldering the entire outflow, yeah. or like all of the outflows for the entire ETF trade, yeah. if they're all going there. So, and for uh, the first time in a while, Coinbase's stock is finally on the upward trend today. Yeah, well, they're going to make fees. Right. They're going to make fees. Ha, ha, ha. How's that? By the way, has any, we haven't talked about base for a long time. Does anyone have any metrics? Has it, has it, is it doing well? Is there adoption? I have no idea. Well, we saw in Coinbase's last results, we saw like the, the numbers. Um, if I look on, on L2, currently in terms of uh, TVL, it's the one, two, three, four, fifth. It's the fifth biggest um, chain, Arbitrum being the first, Optimism being the second, in terms of TVL, uh, Metis being third, Manta being What's- fourth, and fifth is, is, is obviously Coinbase. Is, is, is obviously based. Oh, we got. I, I, I didn't. I didn't know Manta's in the top. I've got Manta on the on my show later today. After this, I didn't know they're in the top four. They're so, in the top they haven't even launched. And, and just under a billion. In who's, who's? Do you mind if I ask you who's who are the number six and seven? ZK Sync and DYDX. Well, DYDX is a, is a bit of a anomaly. So it's a, a mantle. Okay. Um, b- before starting the show and, and you know, digging into altcoin season, um, Ran and Scott, I think the same thing as well. Anyone in the audience could do this, but I think us three should do this. If you see the top right corner, there's that share button, that arrow to the top. We should honestly, all three of us, every space, just click it since we air everything in public. Click on copy link and then just tweet it out. I think us three should do it in every space. I just did it now. I've been doing it for the last... Ran just left. <laughs> just dropped out. He was like, no, I'm out. Not just sharing this with anyone. No, no, he clicked on leave by accident. It's right next to the leave button. But the timing is epic. But you guys I'm, are a disaster. I'm, I'm, I'm amazing, but you guys are a train wreck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But anyway, let's kick it off. Like uh, First, you want to just give a market update, Scott. Um, and then we're going to go to the panel and then we dig into alts when, when Ran uh, joins back. Sure. Uh, just uh, checking. I uh, used the tie dashboard. But to me, it looks like the market is largely just really, really flat. I think uh, you know, Bitcoin. Obviously, we know that it went up to forty nine and then and then dropped, but kind of just trading in this forty two thousand to forty three thousand area right now. I think uh, a lot of people either searching for the next narrative or just waiting to see what happens and how the ETF uh, trade starts to shake out. Uh, Ethereum has generally been outperforming Bitcoin since that day, but also just kind of flat today. I, I'm not seeing anything of much excitement. I know Rand was here. I want because and he just did a uh, show, I think, on you know how altcoins about to blast off. I, I generally think that altcoins look better. I do think that there is a narrative switching to ETH, but looking at what I'm just looking at right now, there, there's not much going on. I mean, maybe maybe. Uh, Chris, have you been uh, on top of the altcoin market the past few days? I know you're charting 24-7. So uh, are you seeing anything? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, there's always something, um, you know, going on out there. I think overall it looks pretty good still. Um, I think uh, people are a bit concerned about what's going on with Bitcoin. So there's a lot of uh, a lot of really more bearish narratives going on out there as far as um, emotional takes on it. Um, and so I think people are just kind of concerned about what's going on with that. So they're what are what are the bearish takes? What are these emotional oh, takes? Just, just people talking about how you know the the. Uh, Pretty much, if, if they've been saying that the top's in the entire last year, they're saying it again now, but with more oomph. And um, and so now that it's overextended, you know, people are looking for that pullback. So uh, emotionally, it's, it's a difficult time for people to try to, you know, convince themselves to buy into anything. Those that do, uh, though, are catching a lot of these um, altcoins that are popping off a bit. Um, but So, I mean, generally, the, the altcoins seem like they're doing all right. Um, but I think overall, I think, um, you know, retail market participants are, are just kind of waiting to see uh, Bitcoin actually do something. Because, you know, like like Scott was saying, we're just kind of range bound right here um, between what is that, like uh, 41 and 44 or so. Um, and, you know, ever since that drop of last week and it hasn't continued down lower yet. So people are kind of sitting there nervous about, you know, everybody's talking about how it's going to drop down lower. The top's in for right now. Um, but they don't want it to be. So, you know, it kind of, it just gives people that really difficult, um, time where they, where they want to get in, but they're nervous about doing it. So then they don't, but like I said, the few that do end up then, uh, kind of enjoying the benefits of what's going on. Can you, can you, Chris and, and Scott and any other tech analysts here, but I think Chris and Scott, uh, you're probably the best for this one is what are the resistance levels and the support levels that you guys were talking about yesterday? I think, uh, Gareth was there as well. I think it's like 42K is an important level support level and 48K is an important resistance level. Is that right? I think we should let Chris and Peter both answer that one. Go ahead, guys. Yeah, yeah. I mean, exactly. I think if we clear 44, especially if we do it with a little bit of impulsiveness, I think 46 is easy. And if we're at 46, I think, you know, new highs incoming. Um, you know, at the end of the day right now, we're just sitting on the, uh, you know, sitting above the daily pivot. And uh, so we're not, we haven't like broken down structure on the higher time frames is still there. It hasn't broken down that market structure. And so, um, you know, again, we're, we're just kind of holding here. And so if we can get that pop above 44, you know, I, I think we end up above 50. We start looking towards 60. Uh, if we lose, if we lose this, uh, this, you know, this 40, whatever it is here, this 41, 42 area, um, you know, I, I would probably first look around 38 and a half and then potentially down there around 34 and a half. But honestly, I don't think we have a real good chance of getting down to 32 or 30 or anything like that. Peter? Uh, yeah, no, I, I have support at 40. What I'd love to see is get a wash out of that 40 level and really kind of get people short-term negative and, and the, the Bitcoin can hold, you know, that wash out a 40 and start back up. I mean, that, that for me is a sign that we're back on track. Uh, it's not a prediction that we're going to break 40. I just think, you know, 40 for me is support. We really need to get back uh, on a closing basis. Uh, Greenwich Mean Time, get a close back above 46, 46 and a half to really put this thing back on track. I think Ether gains. Um, you know, I think we, we saw the, the big support level on uh, Ether Bitcoin taken out. So it was just kind of a bear trap uh, on the chart, on the Ether Bitcoin chart. So I think Ether gains on Bitcoin, uh, at least for the period forward. Ether still, the chart of Ether daily chart looks, looks solid to me. So I just see the Trump is on, on both the Bitcoin and the Ethereum and the USD pair to me, Peter. Like you said, it swept that 0.049 area on the Ethereum Bitcoin chart, was oversold on RSI for only fourth time ever on the weekly, has bullish divergence there, massive bullish engulfing candle on the Ethereum Bitcoin chart. And to me, also, you know, what you're talking about, that washout with Bitcoin, we had that kind of sentiment on Ethereum, right? The, the sentiment we're talking about, you would love to see on Bitcoin, we've had for ages on Ethereum. It's dead. Solana's taking over. It's going to zero. It doesn't work. It's slow. All the things. Yeah, I'm not an Ether lover. And so, you know, for me, it's kind of hard. I almost have to bite my tongue when I say that I see Ether overperforming Bitcoin in the period ahead. But I, I mean, it, it, that's what the technicals tell me. So, you know, I have to look at it that way. 
Yeah, I agree. And I think that you also just have this natural rotation. As Chris said, this isn't new retail. This is just the crypto traders. And I think the minute that spot ETF was approved, they started uh, trying to get ahead of the next trade being an Ethereum spot ETF. That's just my, my feeling on it. Mario, I can see. What's up? No, I was going gonna, gonna, to uh, let you finish off with this discussion because I want to move to the out season. I don't know what's happening with Ryan. He keeps trying to come up. So if you can send him an invite, and ask the team send him an invite. But, um, you know, starting with Scott, just going to the panel, I'd love to get your thoughts on this, Scott. I know you try to avoid giving your thoughts, but I'd love to get you started off and then we'll go to Ryan and others. But you know, I was reading an article by CoinGecko. We're talking about 50% of all cryptos have died, according to 70, know, what they consider 70%. Well, now, they 70%. said they said 50, over 50%. So, 53.6, according to CoinGecko, according to this analysis by Sean Paul Lee on CoinGecko. So, he says that that's since, since 2014. They're looking at tokens listed on CoinGecko. 14,000 out of the, um, I don't know how many they have listed, but you could do the maths. 14,000 have died. And there's 11,000 tokens. So most of the tokens, most of the ones that died were from the 2020 to 2021 era. And it goes to a question that we've discussed before. And I think any investors here, any DGEN investors, VCs would probably like this discussion. Um, is when you get a bull market, remember, I wasn't too active in the last couple of bull markets. I wasn't the, in the last one, but uh, uh, not the one before. But when you come into a, a, a when you get into a bull market, one thing that was said on the space a few times, and we never really dug into, is it is it the the, the listed tokens that benefit the most? Is it new projects launching that benefit the most? Because I feel like a lot of that new money, a lot of that VC money that's been sitting on the sidelines, they tend to they they tend to prefer new projects launching rather than ones they've been building for many years. Of course. Um, why? Because it's a cash grab. Because it's an obvious cash grab, and there's no sellers. I mean, we, it's a you know the, the way that this. Uh, for better or for worse, the way this industry is structured is that insiders get in early, they get coins and liquid immediately, and they can effectively take a profit and then wait and see what happens, at least with the first tranche that they get. I mean, it's for, I'm not saying that's definitely a good thing, but the older a coin is, the more, uh, you know, forced, passionate community members there are who are holding it for five years talking about how it's going to finally come back, but they're really just looking to sell at the first moment when they're either near break even or in profit. So it makes a lot of sense that new things perform better. I find it interesting. I'm looking at the same article right now. Uh, first of all, yeah, I'm, it says over 50% in the uh, chart, but over 70% uh, for some reason was the original headline. But I think that's, first of all, exceptionally, exceptionally low. Their methodology for determining this is things that they have been deactivated and delisted specifically from CoinGecko. Uh, so they say cryptocurrencies do not reflect any trade activity within the last 30 days. Projects are revealed as a scam or rug pool. Projects request but, uh, to be uh, uh, deactivated. But so I would say that that's only based on these three criteria by CoinGecko. If you look at all the things that have actually been launched, and also, it's hard to determine dead, but I would say it's ninety-eight or ninety-nine. Exactly. I, I think. <laughs> I think it's. I, I think it may. First, the number is too low. I agree. I think it should Way definitely enough. be above ninety-five percent. But the, and, and so, Michael says what they determine is a dead project, um, and I don't know the process of delisting a coin. Um, but if they only look at projects that have listed on CoinMarketCap or CoinGecko, I think that's fair. Uh, I think it's unfair to look at all projects, including a random project yeah. launched by someone in their yeah. basement that raised, you know, 5K, 10K. I wouldn't count that as a project. Um, but it's just fascinating to see, like, a lot of the projects that build, it's it's much harder for them to get love, to get capital inflows. They need to prove themselves a lot more than new projects launching from scratch. I'd love to get Carlo, Ryan, Fred's thoughts on this. Anyone else? Well, you know, to circle back on base, uh, I sent you a link. Uh, Base actually won a poll on Decrypt as being the chain of the year or project of the year. It is impressive to see what's going on there. And one of the key takeaways from that is that Coinbase is growing to be more than just a trading company, but is also getting into the developer aspect of things. It's not really widely reported, but they also dropped a native token for Base called uh, Seam. And... Uh, I haven't seen much happening on that yet, but it's interesting to watch. Another one that's really interesting to watch is this SEI SEI token, which claims to have faster speeds than Solana, double the speed of Solana, and is starting to really get a lot of attention in the space among builders. Yeah, Sui is getting a lot of attention as well, and I just keep seeing seeing it talked about, and I think it's performed really well. So I'm not saying that all projects that were there in the last bull market don't get love. Like we're seeing a lot of them do get attention. I see a lot of the games that we're part of um, really finally get the the love they deserve. 
but it's it's just incomparable to new projects launching at the hype behind them. Um, right, we were just talking about altcoin season, and we're looking at an article about the number of projects that failed, and how new projects launching in the bull market get more love, get more capital inflows than projects that were building. That's listed already, but they've been building for the last couple of years. Have you seen the same trend? Yeah, I mean, you're always going to get new shiny objects every alt season, right? Like you're going to get. You, I mean, with these things. Specifically with tokens, you're going to get 99% of them eventually failing and then 1% or 2% of them actually surviving. And so, you know, I think this is a, a very typical of the cycle. I'm actually, I'm actually, to be honest, I'm quite surprised that so many projects from the last cycle are still around. Like that, to me, is very, very, very surprising. There are a lot of projects that haven't done anything and, and they're still around, miraculously. But define still around. That's what we were trying to get at when you weren't here. Like, what does still around mean? Tokens still exist? Like, tokens they're still not exist, developing, still right? trading on the token, still people buying and selling the token, still a, re- a relevant market cap, you know? That's like, that's, yeah. that's quite big. Like, I mean, I don't, I don't want to mention individual projects because I, I think that's a little bit unfair, but there's a lot of projects that, you know, in my mind should have been dead. I'm, I'm surprised that they're still around at all. And maybe what I was asking you earlier when you dropped out, and Ryan, feel free to jump in anytime because I do want to get your thoughts on this. But what I was asking you earlier, Ryan, when you dropped out, is oh, first I was asking you to share the space, but then I was asking you to get, give us your, your, your altcoin narrative that you've been talking about for the last uh, 48 hours. I don't, think, I don't think there's one narrative. I think the narrative jumping. I mean, today we saw NFTs, like Blur's running, and we saw Pudgy Penguins, the floor price going up. So, like, just a small NFT narrative which is coming. But I think. The, the narrative which has been dominating so far is fast L1s. So it started off with Solana and Injective. It went into Say. It's now gone into Sui. And so like, there's a massive, massive narrative around fast L1s. And that's been the, the dominating narrative. That's been where all the money is starting to flow. Majority of the money flowing into the Cosmos ecosystem. And there's lots of innovation in the Cosmos ecosystem. I mean, I spoke to a project last night. Uh, which full disclosure will probably make an investment into, but the, the project is called Saga, S-A-G-A. And what they do to me, I mean, it's, it's in my mind, but the, the way they've solved cost and scalability is very, 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 very smart. So what they've done is they've said, look, every chain, so it's like every time that, they, that, that a, a project wants to launch, they launch their own chain. And the, the chain is a copy of the main chain, so to speak. So, and, and they call it a, a chainlet. And so what projects will do is they'll pay like something like small numbers, like three, four, five hundred dollars a month. And that will be there for them to run a chain, a separate chain. Now the chains, unlike Avalanche, the chains don't settle on the main chain, but they actually run on the same set of validators in parallel with the main chain, right? So just think of like a world where if you want to launch a chain, you clone the main chain and you run on the same validators and the, as, the, and the, as the main chain, which is a very, very, very fast chain. And you now get lots and lots and lots and lots of these, of these uh, sublets or, or subchains or uh, chainlets, I think, I think was, a, was a term that they used. Now, that for me is a very, very, very smart way to solve uh, the scaling problem, which I haven't actually, I've never heard of anyone doing it, you know? So right now there's a focus on fast layer ones, but we know that that's, that's how every cycle starts. And then, then from there, we'll move on to all the tools on the layer ones. We, we have an investing thesis. If you don't want to spend too much time um, on investing and making investment decisions, every time you invest in a protocol in a layer one, invest in the layer one, invest in the DEX, and invest in the meme coin, in the main meme coin. Like, so in Solana, you would have invested in Solana, Radium, and, uh, and uh, Bonk. And like, if you would have just invested in those three, you would have done well, you know? Um, Damn, that's really smart. Yeah. That's really smart. I always say just invest in the... Uh, I mean, my base case from last cycle was, you know, just invest in the layer ones and you'll get the benefit of everything that's built on it. But then if you get the main decks, you also get the upside of the actual trading there. And then all of the TBL seemingly always comes from the first big meme coin. Yeah, so, but, so, and I'm not so even a meme coin guy at all, but that makes sense. Yeah, the, what you want to look at is you want to look at balancing your risk. The L1 is the lowest risk. The, the, next, the next risk is uh, the DEX. You know, the DEX to me is the casino. So like the casino is always like the lowest risk bet because the casino makes money regardless of what happens if the chain is successful. And then we always put the smallest amount into the meme coins. Like we put like you know, small amounts into the meme coins. And you know, the truth is these days, if you're not sure what the best meme coin is, you, you can either take a couple of bets or just look if the founder has a dog or a cat. 
And then just find the meme coin that you know that's named after the dog, the founder's dog or cat that seems to have like the largest chance of success. Now, just interestingly, the meme coins can give you up to a thousand extra returns. So even if you just put a thousand dollars in the meme coin and you actually get it right, you know, you get a thousand extra. I'm not saying you'll you will, but you can get up to a thousand extra returns. And like that's enough. Like and so like you could put I don't know twenty thousand dollars into the main chain, into the chain. You could put five thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars into Dex and like five hundred or thousand dollars into the meme coin. And, and you've got yourself a, like a, a beautiful diversified uh, play across an L1 chain. So that's that's our lazy in, in investing. I, I, I love I love crypto. Obviously, um, been in the space for a long time. But I sometimes just hope that audience members or panelists that come on my other spaces don't join when we're talking about. You're not like listening. All, all, <laughs> all three. I hope so. All three of us get so. If all three of us get a ferret, and we launch ferret coin. You're saying we launched it on an L1 that's, that's doing well, it's gaining traction. Suddenly, Ferret Coin becomes a meme token that has traction. Is that is that essentially the strategy? The strategy that would work. No, what I'm saying is, uh, you're muted, Darren. Uh, you got a call. Uh, Ryan would love you. Oh, you're back, Ryan. I'm back. Yeah, go ahead, Ryan. So, start again. Yeah, yeah. So right. saying you put 80% of your investment into the L1, put 15% of your investment into the Dex or. So whatever, 17 and put one of three percent into the meme coins, and that's all you need. Ryan, your thoughts on on are we in I'm gonna go back to the original question. Are we in altcoin season? Has it finally started? Uh I I don't believe we're, we're there yet. I think we're still really early in this cycle, and I think all altcoin season really comes later in the cycle from my experience. I you know, we talked about a little bit earlier how Bitcoin's kind of been range bound and ETH looks a little bit better uh, than it has in the past. But I think that we're, you know, we're still sitting 30, 40 percent off all time highs for the the major crypto assets. And, and so I think we're still in the early innings here and uh, that the all, all coin season doesn't come till later on. Yeah. Can, can I ask you can I ask you another question, Ryan? I, I know we talk about history rhyming, um, if not repeating itself, especially when it comes to the halving. Does that mean is so? Have we had an altcoin? Have we had sorry, crypto dump uh, every time prior to? You no, know, I think it's a few months prior to the halving. Has that happened in every single cycle? Does that mean, in your opinion, it will happen again? Because just seems way too calculated, way too obvious. Even though I believe it will repeat itself, become a self-fulfilling prophecy. It just seems way too obvious. And and the, the last bull market ended the same way the one before it ended. Could we have the next bull market, which is one we're waiting for now, or we're in now, and um, start the same way the last couple started? Yeah, it, it's one of those things where we, we don't have a ton of history, right? We have 15 years of history. We have three cycles maybe behind us where we've seen that play out, where the, the year leading into a Bitcoin halving and the year following a Bitcoin halving have been the best performing years within the, the four-year cycles that we look at. And so, I mean, on the one hand, history would tell us that there's a high likelihood that it does repeat itself because it has done that three times in the past. And so, and, you know, the past six, eight months have been really strong months for Bitcoin, for Ethereum, for other crypto assets. And so with the having coming in at the end of April here, I, I mean, it is it is rather interesting that the the historical trends would say that the year leading up to the having and the year following the having are generally the best. I mean, the other way to look at it is that generally the second year of a bull market is the best, most highest performing, biggest breakout year uh, of, all, of the cycle. And so those two kind of historical data points would, would point to 2024 as being perhaps the best year if we are in another four-year cycle where there's three strong years followed by a year of retracements. And so that's where I think all, all season, I mean, if it is coming, I would expect it to come towards the second half of this year uh, and going into 2025 versus having happened here at the end of 2023 and already in, in 2024. So I was muted. I was going to go to you, Fred, to get your thoughts on the same question. Uh, well, I can say that you're asking the lawyer about alt season, and I'll just say that none of my altcoins have done anything as of yet. So I'm still waiting. No, not, not the so not, not not the altcoins. So the question I have for you is still about the markets, though, is whether you'll see history repeat itself. And I'm going to pivot. The next question I have for you is going back to the ETF. But first, I'll ask you a market question. 
Yeah, you know, I, I'm in the uh, camp that we don't really start seeing the season until the halving. And, you know, you don't see the altcoins running until a little bit after, you know, Bitcoin starts its leg. You know, I will say there's a uh, a buddy of mine that I follow that, you know, he's he's called a lot. He called the top on the last Bitcoin and said that uh, he thinks Bitcoin's just correlated with the stock market. And we're due for a major correction there. And Bitcoin's going way, way down. I have a hard time believing it, but he's been on, on the top of his game lately. And so uh, it'll be really interesting to see how it play out. But I'm still waiting. And we've got another article here. Scott, you there? I'm not sure where the guys are. So I've got another article here. Just get your thoughts on here. I'm, yeah, with, with, I'm having an yeah. issue with uh, Glitch, but yeah, same you had. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to go back to Arthur Hayes, who believes that Bitcoin ETFs could bring in billions from trade fights. So it's going back to the same narratives that we've seen before. We do have some new voices. So I want to get uh, Peter, uh, Fred, your thoughts on the same discussion we've had over the last few days, the inflows we've seen so far, and what could be uh, what we could see over the next few months. Yeah, I'll, I'll just say that, uh, you know, where I am, I'm in uh, Southern Cal, and um you know, I, I live in a, a nice area that's got a lot of nice financial planners, financial advisors, people that run 401ks. And I try and get my uh, Bitcoin uh, um, mantra out to all of them. And they just do not care in any way, shape or form. You know, I know there's, this is anecdotal, but it, it just hasn't filtered down to everybody yet. I think it will. Um, but you know, I'm in a, a a slice of the world where there's a lot of those types of people there that that can make that decision for their clients, and there's they're like, no, it's not a real thing. No, I'm not doing it. So exactly, exactly, to- exactly. What other concern we had earlier? Um, the the and who's what was your vendetta boycott Vanguard, wasn't it? Got. Yeah, it just means we're early. Exactly. Uh, I yeah, agree it, it'll it early. Early, it's good news. And and also means that we're uh, look. You can't say okay if they, if if they come in, it's good news. If they don't come in, it's good news. Like you know, there must be something as bad news. If Vanguard is just completely blocking access, I mean, it's, oh, I think Vanguard that. is bad news. I'm saying what Fred is saying is that you know the trend we generally see more people eventually come into the space and then they don't leave. I mean, the the you know the statistics show that. So even if it's a slow trickle, it just means we're early to those people coming in. Vanguard is. Bad news. I agree. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Peter. My take on this is Peter, um, I, 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 your take on this as well, Peter, and, and maybe touch on Vanguard. Like, what, what do you think influenced that decision? Because, you know, in our bubble, all of TradeFi is going to be, in, you know, how could Larry Fink be an evangelist for the industry and then Vanguard doing the complete opposite? I, I would expect trade TradeFi to be speaking together to be aligned in some way. You know, so basically, first on how I think the ETF will play out is I think we'll get a little push today and tomorrow where we should see some inflows, right? People who are waiting for the ETFs to launch, to put money in. Some were probably ready last Thursday or Friday, but it happened quickly. So I'd expect if we're going to bounce, we'd bounce today, tomorrow. If not, I think we break through some of those um, support levels you guys were talking about earlier, 42,040, and we reset. Because I really do think it's going to be weeks or months before this can get more broad adoption. So it'll be interesting to see if we can pop through today, tomorrow. We get some inflows from people who just didn't have time to react and were waiting for orders today get the breakthrough you know mid where it maybe solidifies then people can start talking about okay do we put this in how long does it take RIAs and then I think it becomes a month to two month process and I'm not really surprised by Vanguard I think Vanguard is always at the conservative end that's kind of been the reputation even if you think about fee structure right they were very early on low fees and driving fees to zero across ETFs right they've got their version of SPY, which I'm blanking on right now, but it's much cheaper to own than SPY, and SPY itself is not a very expensive way to own the S&P 500. So I'm not surprised by them. And again, I also think you know BlackRock has made a name for themselves by being evangelists, and they get some right and they get some wrong. So I think that's also been in his very nature. You know, It's hard to tell how much he truly believes in it or whether it's just, okay, well, ESG didn't work as well as we thought. Maybe crypto will work. What's our next, you know, huge asset. And again, I think everyone, we're starting to see those fees come down. This was just, GBTC was like 500 million of potential fees that all these ETF providers were swinging, swimming around saying, how do I get a piece of that 500 million? GBTC is cutting down their fees already. Other people are coming down. It'll be interesting to see where some of this shakes out. Um, Coinbase, you know, that's the name that's come up. 
clearly they'll probably be a beneficiary in terms of custody for a lot of this. But as the ETS shut down their fees, what will they negotiate with Coinbase? So this could be really the first time I think we see a real you know, compression in terms of margins and what people can make in the space. And it'll be interesting to see how many people play through that. Um, and the problem is it's probably been going on all the time and everyone sees it a little bit. This is just going to be such visible. And daily, you're going to see these inflows and outflows. So weirdly enough, I think for the next few weeks, maybe even a couple months, these ETFs are going to be the tail that wags the dog. People, everyone, everything can see, ooh, did inflows come in or not? Did prices come down or not? Did um, discount to nav change? So I, I think we're going to spend a disproportionate amount of time watching the ETFs relative to the size of crypto, but that's what's going to be driving price action, I think. And it still seems to me a lot of people got too hyped too quickly on how ETFs work. So I just don't know how many of the people who front ran this are using leverage or not. If they are using leverage, that's why I think you go from those 42 to 40,000, maybe through to low mid 30s, if we don't get this pop in the next day or two. Yeah, just on, on the, a note on Vanguard, I agree that they've been conservative historically, but they offer GBTC and BITO. So it's but here's, a, here's a question about that for the TradFi people. Has there ever been an example of this before where something has been offered as an ETF that a, a brokerage house has just flat out refused to list? You would think that, that this Bitcoin ETF is investing in cocaine. I mean, they have traded far more volatile things over the course of their history, even as a conservative brokerage house. Is this, is this an anomaly or is this something that you've seen before in TradFi? I'd have to go back, but I think it's not that uncommon that it take it used to take a while for products to get you know permission and things like that. So where this stands, it's probably unusual in today's markets. I'm not sure that it's you know. But Peter, they're not saying we're going to look at this. They're saying we're not going to offer it. Like a lot of the others, I understand. Like to your point, they're saying, "Hey, we're going to give this a little time to simmer. We're going to figure out how many of these are going to survive. We're going to do due diligence now that the products exist, and then we're going to look into offering them." Vanguard just outright dismissed, and I do eventually think they'll come around, but they outright dismissed the concept of even considering it. Before before telling people and making it go viral, Scott, and and plan to get sued. To boycott tell Vanguard. To boycott, to boycott Vanguard. Have you looked at whether they've done this to other asset classes? I think, Carlo, you gave the example of cocaine. I think it's for medicinal use. And, uh, you know, love it or hate it, I think it's easy for these people to understand. They, didn't, the, they the, didn't do it to crypto. That's the point. Like, they offered a Bitcoin futures ETF trading since inception, <laughs> which now they've pulled uh, in this backlash, which is a huge FU to the industry. Which was a far Go. inferior part product that didn't track the underlying spot, the, the price of the underlying spot asset. It's, it's absurd. It makes no sense. So, so hold on. They pulled their futures ETF rather than, than reversing right. their ban on the- Everyone said ETF. you've been offering the futures ETF since the very beginning. What the hell are you guys talking about? Conservative and for the protect your people. And they said, okay, no more futures ETF for you. So what, what do you make out of this since, since you've put so much effort into what do you think they did this? Do they just not believe in the asset or is it a bit more strategic than that? Uh, I don't really like the hat. I think I think that uh, they're they're playing off a narrative that's very popular with their overlords. I won't name names. Um, I think that uh, you know the uh, the government. Um, I, yep. I think that um, there's a certain aspect where they decided early they weren't going to file for their own spot ETF while every one of their competitors did, and now they're in the unenviable position of only being able to offer competitive products when they didn't create one of their own uh, and seeing that money disappear and see, I think they're just uh, heeping dickheads. The, so uh, just going back to a listening to their overlords, why wouldn't that apply to Larry as well? Larry, Larry is the, the oh, Larry is the, is their overlord. <laughs> Larry think is more powerful than any of these people. And he's on a road show talking about how uh, we're going to get an Ethereum spot ETF. This is flight quality. The future of everything is the tokenization of assets. I don't know if Larry is orange pilled fully or crypto pilled, I guess, since he goes beyond Bitcoin or not. Uh, but he certainly sounds like someone who is, and there's very, very, very minimal incentive for Larry Fink, who now once again has 10 trillion assets under management, even if Bitcoin becomes huge, this will be a drop in the bucket for BlackRock. So either he believes this will become so massive. Bruce Fenton gave a great example this morning. He said, 
BlackRock carrying, even if this went to 25, 35, 45 billion today, their, their ETF, it would be, he, he would like, uh, someone would tell him the news uh, and he would be cool and move, move on with his lunch. It's like the same as, you know, I think what Bruce said was the Man- Mandalorian being popular and Bob Iger being like, cool, well, I have a show that's popular on one of my networks. Great. That's, but that's like saying, that's like saying like if they hadn't invested in the internet when the internet started, you got to start somewhere. This is a revolution. Really. Correct. I'm saying, so I think he's truly orange pilled and it's not just about the percentage of AUM that it will be because he can go on TV and literally talk about anything. And this is what he's spending his time on. Right. And we've seen countless billionaires come around to this. And so I, I'm actually going to give the benefit of the doubt and think that Larry Fink uh, is actually becoming a believer. Uh, and that's why he's out on, on this roadshow. And I think that, uh, you know, every time yeah, you'll, you'll notice that when Gary, Gary Gensler, for example, you know, who clearly uh, Larry Fink doesn't have much respect for Gary Gensler sues Coinbase and Binance. The industry is dead. It's all over. We're all finished. Everybody's capitulating. And BlackRock files for a spot ETF. And Larry Fink starts talk, like talking the opposite book of Gary Gensler. Gary Gensler finally approved the spot ETF last week. Goes on TV, says it's only because of the courts. Yeah, we don't support these assets. It's only Bitcoin. And then a day later, Larry Fink goes on TV and says, F you, Gary. You think they're still printing, still looking incredibly strong. That's why no, Oh, shit. I shouldn't have mu- I shouldn't have muted him. Shit, he was. Fred was giving shit to one of Rand's employees, and I muted. Oh my god, that what I, I thought Rand was talking. I was gonna say. So, no. like a day later, Gary says, "Listen, we only did Bitcoin, even though we don't support Bitcoin. It's a non-security commodity, whatever the whatever catchphrase he comes up with." The week, and literally the next day, Larry Fink goes on TV and says, "Ethereum spot ETF next." There's no reason not to. So I don't know if it's a pissing contest between Gary Gensler and Larry Fink, but my mother, my money is on Larry Fink. Hey, Scott, I just wanted to <clears throat> jump in real quick and, uh, you know, because we're all not big SEC fans over here. And um, after the disaster of the rollout from the SEC, especially from that, uh, you know, fake X post, uh, our, our firm is investigating all claims. Anybody that got screwed over on that, liquidated one way or the other, we're investigating it. We want to sue the SEC for the negligent supervision of that X account. So if nice. you guys go on to my handle and either uh, shoot me a Rand, that was your answer. Rand asked that question the other day. He said, is there any recourse for people who lost money as a result of that? Did you hear that, Rand? There should be. The, I mean, there should be because Maya, your, your sound is, uh, you're roboting on us. <sighs> yeah, so, you know, if anybody shoots me on, on X, uh, a direct message or um, sends an email to our, our firm's con- it's contact at uh, hodlaw.org, um, I'll follow up with you and, you know, see if, if what happened to you is grounds enough to take that case forward. But, yeah, we're investigating it. We're looking into it. And, you know, on a side note, everybody should send goodwill to Utah. The SEC is also in a case there, in a crypto case, where they got caught lying to the court. And now the court's trying to decide how hard they're going to sanction the SEC. So I'll uh, I'll put updates on that on my handle as well. But, I mean, you see some of the things that came through about how the actual people suffer. A guy got literally stranded in Africa when the SEC shut down the, uh, this company's bank accounts. I mean, they're just off the rails as a, as a government entity. Sorry for my rant. Rant over. No, no, I've got more questions. No, actually, it. no, I've got, I've got more questions on that rant. But first, David, jump in. My question, David, after you jump in, is what do you need to prove? Um, just trying to speak generally on this. What do you need to prove to be able to do the SEC? Like, was it, if they didn't have two FA, is that enough grounds to them? For example. Well, I love the Fred's doing the case. I'm wishing the best of luck. I'm gonna not be part of that one, but I mean, God bless if Fred can prove this and do it. I mean, it's gonna be fantastic. Everyone knows the SEC violated their own uh, protocols by not having the 2FA. But I think that, you know, I don't speak on markets or anything. So the only thing I'm going to talk about a little bit is tomorrow is SEC Coinbase Day. And, you know, some of the geeky lawyers are all going to be in New York together uh, there for SEC versus Coinbase to see if Coinbase, with their PR campaign, can actually knock out the SEC with what can only be described as a haymaker uh, on Wednesday. I don't think it's going to happen, but as John Deaton and I say all the time, I've been wrong on everything I've said for the last year about what's happening with the SEC, 
And if that trend continues tomorrow, it's going to be an exciting day for crypto and yet another pendulum swing completely against the SEC. Um, it's crazy that so, so wait, what's, happen what, what's happening tomorrow? What's happening tomorrow? Uh, the trend tomorrow, dismissed. It's a full right. day hearing. It's the motion to dismiss the complaint against from the SEC against Coinbase in New York in federal court. And what do you yeah, think yeah, is the likelihood they'll, they'll succeed? Well, yeah, what do you think they'll see? It would likelihood that they'll succeed. So this is the David Silver likelihood scale. David Silver has been wrong 98.6% of the time over the last year about the SEC and crypto. So I say the chance of them of the of Coinbase succeeding and knocking it out is less than five percent. So basically, that means ninety five percent. That means it's ninety five percent to the Kramer effect. I guess I have to agree with that. Here. I have to agree with oh. that, Mario, because the the burden is so high to win a motion to dismiss because you're basically saying nothing should go forward and be vetted out and be be judged on the merits. So more than likely, there might be a a denial or a consolidation of the claims with respect to the staking side of Coinbase. That's one that I can see probably surviving here. It's a big day, and I think uh, I'll be probably streaming it. It's available to stream via uh, Zoom, and I'll be checking it out as well because it is a Carla. big day for crypto law. Yeah. Hey, what, what time does it start? Is it 9? Uh, uh, let me double check. I think it is. Tomorrow. 10 a.m. Thank you. Thank you. I'm yeah, on central time, so that always 10, screws me up. <laughs> 10 a.m. EST, David. Yeah, but it's going to be a boring day. I think it's like eight hours of argument tomorrow. Uh, each side gets four hours. And this isn't even a typical motion to dismiss. It's a motion on the pleadings. Coinbase has been incredibly creative. Their PR campaign is fantastic. But their legal, I mean, I think, you know, what, what he just said is completely true. The bar on them succeeding is really the only way Coinbase wins and it's actually a pretty good argument, is if the judge buys the belief that the SEC lacks authority from Congress to regulate crypto exchanges. And that would be a knockout punch if the judge delivers that. It would set everything up for the appeals court as everything is moving towards appeals anyway. But it would be a knockout punch for Coinbase, and it would totally drive if the court says the SEC lacks authority. When people are looking for a movement in the markets. I think that'd be a fantastic movement in the markets. But again, yeah. David Silver is a terrible investor. Guys, I, I totally mean, love to it, see that outcome. Fair to say, yeah, Carlo, isn't it fair to say, though, even if we don't get the outcome, which we think is unlikely that they win, like the some of the most impactful moments for the crypto industry have actually just been judges' statements during these things. Exactly. Right? And so, Coinbase has yeah. an elite legal team. Paul Graywald and that legal team at Coinbase are top-notch I would love to see that victory tomorrow, but I think any any commentary that calls into question the the administrative reach and the regulatory enforcement actions by the SEC is probably a win for the space. Yeah, that's what I'm looking for. I mean, even when the Voyager bankruptcy lawyer pushed back against the SEC and said, "You guys are nuts," like that was huge news, and it didn't it wasn't meaningful or impactful on the actual bankruptcy proceeding, but it was one more crack, sort of in. Uh, in the foundation here of the SEC. Uh, people, I really keep harping on this, but earlier this year, our entire industry lived in like daily terror in fear of the SEC. Like it seemed like what the SEC said was law, that they could do whatever they wanted. And since then, it's been nothing but beatings for the SEC in the court system. And frankly, like in the court of public opinion, nobody is afraid of the SEC at all anymore. At all. And I think that that is just a I don't huge that's fair. paradigm shift. Nobody's afraid of the SEC. If you're a small project and the SEC come after you and you're not, and you're not uh, as well capitalized and as well funded as a Coinbase or an XRP, you're in big trouble. They'll, I mean, they'll kill oh, you. I, I, right. I, I, I agree with that part. I'm just saying people are saying the quiet parts out loud on social media and such and in the news that they would have never said, especially when they're regulated by the SEC themselves. It's just been a major, major uh, pendulum swing and a lot of pushback, I think. They've just become wildly unpopular, and that was not necessarily the case. Fair point. I, the, I, think, I think the SEC under Gary Gensler has always been like that. I mean, under Jay Clayton, I, I remember they got some criticism, but I don't remember it ever being as bad as this. 
Yeah, probably the last thing, Scott, you'd want to want to bring up, unless Ryan wanted to jump in on this point, is uh, Elon. Um, his comments, I think Doge blew up. He's talking about progress on uh, on the rumors of X incorporating payment systems and being a better version of PayPal, and everyone's kind of uh, assuming that Bitcoin and other crypto will be integrated. So I'm just going through the article there. Um, did anyone hear what Elon said? So he said, now Tesla, Elon Musk said that he's making progress in adding payments to a social, to, to X that would include Bitcoin and crypto. Okay, explicit that that would include Bitcoin and crypto. Do you think that will bring the masses to the industry if that happens? Because we saw Instagram add uh, the, 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 the verification for NFTs, um, but that didn't do much for the industry. I don't think it, did, it didn't do anything long-term and I think they pulled it now. No, Twitter pulled it. Twitter added the verification for NFTs and Instagram. Twitter pulled that from from their platform a few days ago. Instagram still has it. Um, so, do you think that could be another another um, just kind of failed attempt to to bring crypto to the masses? Anyone uh, could jump in on this. One. Was, yeah, someone jump in. Yeah, I think um, I think it'll be amazing if it happens and how it happens. <clears throat> and you know, before Elon. Uh, took over and changed it to X. You know, I, I don't know how many people remember this, but there was actually a growing popularity of something called the uh, XRP tipbot because that was a little bit of a faster way you could send um, send crypto on the platform. And then it was eventually actually shut down. Uh, but it was that was back when uh, before the did, did it get did, did it get adoption, Fred? Before it was shut down. Yeah, so it was fully functional on the platform, and, and because it was fast, it was really easy to use. And, and you know, like um, like some of the other uh, cryptos out there, it's it's very divisible, <clears throat> and people you know were just sending fractions of a penny, and it was just you know so easy to do. And then um, it got shut down. And this was a long time ago before Elon took over, and you know that was still that was before the SEC lawsuit, and it was. Um, it was growing in popularity. I'm not going to say it, it had completely caught fire by that point and like everybody was using it, but it was steadily growing and then it got back killed in its tracks. But it was just a really fun. I mean, this was four or five years ago, maybe maybe three years ago, eh, probably four or five years ago. And, uh, you know, it's just if, if anybody used it, it was so fun because, you know, somebody could say just something hilarious. Think about all the meme posts. And then you're like, all right, tip them, you know, a few fractions of a penny. And, you know, it just kind of went on like that. And if um, and I'm sure Elon would get it right, too, on X, it would just be very easy to do and, and be probably one of the best real world use cases for the masses that I think we've seen. So I would be really bullish on that when it comes out. Scott, as an influencer, do you think that, that could you're pretty active on Twitter? You and Ryan, do you think that would be matters? Those? I was saying it was too early, but it's something that matters. What happened? What happened to PayPal's? Anyone know what happened to PayPal's uh, stablecoin? It's uh, mm. PayPal stablecoin still trucking along, or they're still working on on getting it launched. Uh, I think it's you know, that's just a sign how slow tradfi institutions typically work. Even though PayPal's a fintech company, is they take a long time to get some get an initiative going once they announce it. I mean, you, you see the announcement, and then many months go by before the follow up is there. I don't really think. I kind of agree with Scott. I don't think there's one thing in particular that is going to, you know, drive crypto into the next 10 million, 100 million users. I think it's a bunch of little steps the industry has to take. So Twitter launching some kind of crypto payments mechanism, PayPal launching stablecoin, uh, spot Bitcoin ETFs, BlackRock putting up a flag in the ground for Ethereum ETFs. I think that's all great. But these are all just a bunch of little steps forward that in the long run add up to many you know, many yards gained for the industry, but, uh, you know, it's, it's nothing, it's not any one item. I think it's going to be the major catalyst that everyone's looking for. And it's, I think that's why it's so important to zoom out, look at these cycles over many year period, look at, you know, the life, the life cycle of crypto in general, and it's only been around for a few years and, or in, in, you know, relatively speaking, uh, compared to some of these industries we're going up against. And, uh, you know, the Coinbase judgment is really important. The, the fact that we're I'm losing Ryan. Is that just me? Yeah, 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 I'm losing. Yeah, I think we've Ryan. We'll bring him up on on the next base. I think he's on the move. Ryan, we just lost you. I think you dropped out as well. Um, but I think this is we've covered everything well. I know we could talk more about Vivek, but I just don't think it's that important because we got eight percent, even though he's a crypto evangelist. Um, so I think we uh, we've covered everything. Scott, your thoughts? See you back tomorrow. Yeah, cool. We'll see everyone tomorrow. Bye, everyone.